Good morning, everybody. Welcome to BBC Easter Friday. This morning, we're going to be doing something different because, of course, we're all locked down. But there's an opportunity for you to participate in a service that has been traditionally known as a Ten Embrace service. During this service, we're going to use candles to reflect the light of Christ. And because, of course, this is Easter Friday, this is the extinguishing of the life of Jesus. And so throughout this service, you'll be able to follow us as our candles are extinguished. And so maybe as a family, you can establish your own candles, uh, light them as we begin the service, and then have them extinguished as we go through this time together. We trust that you enjoy this experience as a family. God bless you. Luke 22 verses 1 to 6. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple god and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Verses 7 through 16. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Dream. 
key point in Easter week is this moment when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Each of the four Gospels records Jesus meeting in this really important and special moment where he has a beautiful supper with his disciples. Jesus knows that it's the Passover, this incredibly special and important moment when God intervened on behalf of his people so many years ago. Jesus knows about the blood being put on the doorposts of the house so that the angel of death, when it passed over, saved and protected the Israelites. And so the Passover is just so rich with meaning. And so as we stop and think about Jesus's death on the cross while we're in alert level four lockdown, what does it mean to you Think about what's going to happen with Jesus sitting around a table with his disciples. He knows that in just a moment, one of them is going to betray him. The others will run away in fear, into self-isolation, actually. And he'll be left alone to die this horrific death on a Roman cross. Jesus knows this is coming. And yet, he stays very focused on celebrating the Passover. And so... Let's do that if you're at home right now. If you have some bread and some juice, I want to invite you to get those elements. Have them ready. Let's think about the bread where Jesus says to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. If you have some bread, let's do this together now. And think about Jesus dying on the cross, breaking his body for you. What does that mean for you? And then let's think about the juice, or the wine as it was then, representing Jesus' blood spilled 
where Jesus took the cup, it says in the scripture, and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is for the forgiveness of sins for many. Let's take this cup together and think about what might be happening in your life that's hindering you in your relationship with God. Maybe you need to be forgiven of something. Let's take a moment to talk with God while we celebrate the cup together. Would you join me in prayer now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that despite what's happening for us in our really unusual circumstances, that your love for us remains just the same. We thank you that it was out of your love for us that you sent your son to die on a cross for us, for his body to be broken, for his blood to be shed, that we might have the forgiveness of sins to be able to be made right with you. God, how fantastic and awesome is that? And I pray that this will be powerfully real to all of us at this time. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, why are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. One hour was all he needed. One hour of loyalty. As he hung there on the cross, it was just one hour that he asked of me. For three years I'd walked beside him, but three times I did deny him. The rooster crowed, my heart exposed, his time coming to an end. It only took one hour for me to betray my friend. Yesterday at Gethsemane, Jesus went up there to pray. Pray for me, he said to us. I'm just a stone's throw away. He knelt on his knees in anguish as though he knew what was to come. 
Father, take this cup from me, he cried, yet not my will, but yours be done. His prayers became more earnest, blood pouring down like sweat. But while our friend cried out in anguish, our selfish bodies slept. Wake up, he came back to us. Why is it that you sleep? We rubbed our weary eyes, slowly getting to our feet. To stay awake was all he asked for, to stay awake and pray. But our prayers remained unspoken as an angry mob headed our way. I saw them in the distance, their torches with their flames. And though we disciples were together, I couldn't help but be afraid. Leading the crowd was Judas. His name still bitter on my tongue. He had just dined with us at the table. How a friend's betrayal has stung. Judas didn't look at us. No words he needed to speak. He walked right over to Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek. They took my friend away that night. Though he knew it, his hour had come. Judas received his coins of silver. His betrayal of Christ was done. They took him to the high priest's house and I just followed from a distance. I couldn't walk beside him. My cowardice was my resistance. I hung him out to dry like a fire. It seemed that cold had reached my bones. I hung my head and warmed my hands, trying to silence my shame-filled groan. You were with him, a slave girl stared at me. You were that man from Galilee. No, I cried back to the girl. I don't know what to say. I was not with that man, Jesus. There simply was no way. I fled the fire out through the gate. When another person cried, you were with that man from Nazareth. I was not. My lips then lied. It was just one hour later. By the third man I was accused. You're not one of them, are you? But then my heart refused. As I heard these words spill from me, from somewhere a rooster crowed. I stopped and wept bitterly, for my Lord I had just disowned. He warned me I would do this. He told me what was to come, but I had not believed in him. My Lord, my God, what have I done? One hour was all he needed. One hour of my loyalty as he hung there on the cross. It was just one hour he asked of me. Three years I'd walked beside him. Three times I now denied him. The rooster crowed, my heart exposed. His time coming to an end. It only took one hour for me to betray my friend.
it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole of the land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision or action. He came from a Judean town called Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience with the commandment. Hello, church family. Today is day 16 of the COVID-19 lockdown in New Zealand. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's also Friday, Good Friday. You know, and over these past few weeks, we as a world um, and as a nation, we've been trying to come to terms with this new normal. And we've been trying to come to terms with what life was like before the lockdown and what life will look like and be like after the lockdown. But for now, we live in limbo. We live in our isolated bubbles in between these two realities. You know, I had a coworker say to me that, that every day has felt like one big long Saturday. You know, for me, that first Saturday after the lockdown felt so quiet. I was quiet. My dog Cooper was quiet for once. The neighborhood was really quiet. It was almost as if people were afraid to come out of their homes. And I don't know about you, but the quietness of that Saturday made me feel a bit confused, um, a bit scared. It really unnerved me. And this thought kept rolling around and around my head. What is going on? What in the world is happening? You know, I so did not see this coming. I can't help but think of another Saturday 2,000 years ago, the day after Good Friday, but before Easter Sunday. You know, Good Friday and Easter Sunday get a lot of press. We talk a lot about them, but not much is said about Saturday. Saturday, as several writers put it, is silent. Jesus is silent, God is silent, and the disciples are silent, for they are in lockdown too. You see, it's the Sabbath, 
and the whole of Jerusalem has come to a standstill. And for a Jew, Sabbath had travel restrictions. You just couldn't go anywhere you wanted. And if you needed groceries, you had to stock up and get them before the Sabbath had begun. Sound familiar? You see, the disciples are silent because they are hiding in isolation because of the events of the day before. I wonder if they are hiding together in an isolation bubble. I wonder if they are traumatized and afraid that the same fate that killed Jesus awaits for them too. You know, Luke 23 recounts for us the very last hours of Jesus' death. And he says in Luke 23, verse 44, that from noon till three o'clock in the afternoon, that darkness came over the whole land for the sun had stopped shining. You see, Luke is letting us know that that was a miracle. It doesn't get dark at noon. Not like that. In Matthew and Mark's gospel, they record that in that moment when the earth got dark, when the skies got dark, that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. And it tenders my heart that in his greatest moment of agony, Jesus quotes scripture. And Jesus knows the answer to his cry. And he's been saying it all along that all of this has a purpose. You see, in all of eternity, this will be the first time Jesus has experienced separation from his father. He, had, he was forsaken by God so that we never would be. And Luke writes and says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. In a moment, the light of the world was snuffed out. The earth shakes and darkness seems to fill every crevice and hope truly seems lost. And in verse 48, it says, when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus's friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now that will be important later. And then Luke tells us about this unsung hero, this respected man on the Jewish council named Joseph of Arimathea, that Joseph courageously steps up and associates himself with Jesus and claims his body. It's courageous church because it was common practice that when someone got crucified, you didn't bury them. You left them in their shame to be eat, eaten by animals. So Joseph puts his life on the line. And picture this church. Joseph takes Jesus's marred, broken, and bloodied body off the cross, wraps it in linen cloths, and lays it in a tomb. And the chapter ends with saying that the women go home to prepare the spices and the ointments to anoint Jesus's body. But by the time they were finished preparing, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law enforced rest on the silent of Saturdays. 
I've often wondered why the gospel writers didn't tell us what happened between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Jesus had promised his disciples that his cross would bring them Sabbath rest in Matthew 11. I mean, did it? While they observed the Sabbath, the day between the two most significant events in human history, did they rest confidently in the promises of Jesus, anticipating the victory of Easter Sunday? Or are they, or are they hiding in fear and shame and doubt, haunted by the cross, puzzling over why evil can ruin even the best of us? You see, the disciples didn't understand then that the heinousness of sin and payment of sin, my sin, your sin, past, present, future, required the brutal death of the Holy One. The lengths that God had to go to to punish sin shows us just how deep the stain goes. And even though Jesus had told them over and over that he would die and rise again in three days, they still don't get it. All they know is that their rabbi, their friend, their Lord, their Messiah, the one in whom they pinned all their hopes is dead. They don't know what we know. We know how this story ends, but they only know that it's Saturday. I wish we had a little peek into the happenings of that Sabbath, of that Saturday, because I so identify with the disciples, stuck between a cross and a resurrection, trying to find Sabbath rest. And like the disciples, we too are Saturday's children. Looking back at the cross while looking forward to that resurrection Sunday when our faith will become sight. But I don't think that we can fully rejoice in the wonder and victory of Sunday without leaning into the trauma of Friday and the silence of Saturday. Silent Saturdays. The day between the struggle and the solution, the question and the answer, the offered prayer and the answer. The day between despair and joy and confusion and clarity, between bad news and good news, light and darkness. You see, Saturday silence torments us. Is God angry? Did I disappoint him? You see, God knows Jesus is in the tomb, so why doesn't he do something? Or in your case, God knows your career is failing that you've lost your job, that your finances are in trouble, that your marriage is in crisis, that your kids are off the rails, that a health diagnosis is pressing. Why doesn't he act? And what are we supposed to do until he does? Why is God silent? You know, sometimes the darkness of this world makes me struggle with my own flesh. When I let doubt really grab a hold, that's when the mockers show up as if on cue, heckling me for the weakness of my faith. And that's when it gets really hard and the sky grows dark and the earth shifts beneath my feet and heaven seems to remain silent. And it feels really hopeless, like hope is lost. Indeed, when evil seems to overwhelm us, 
when it looks like our enemy is winning and our world seems to be going haywire, when death seems to hang over us like a Roman verdict or a deadly pandemic, and when we cry out, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Have you forsaken us? It's in that moment that I remember him. I remember Jesus. I remember the trauma of Friday. And I remember him in the deafening silence of Saturday. And I remember, I remember that Sunday is coming. Thank you.